this evening, um, we're going to uh, take a little look at the book of Nehemiah. Uh, and just as I was thinking and praying uh, for what we might look at this evening here together as a church, um, as we've had our volunteers commissioned this morning, and, and as we launch out into a whole new church year, uh, working together for the kingdom, I believe that we have lots to learn from Nehemiah, and God was laying uh, the book of Nehemiah on my heart. So I want to share something uh, from the book of Nehemiah this evening. Uh, but let me encourage you sometime to sit down. We'll just be reading one chapter together uh, in a moment. But let me encourage you sometime uh, within the next day or two to sit down and read through the book of Nehemiah. It's just 13 chapters. That's about an hour probably. Uh, that's about two episodes of Carnation Street or half a game of football with a little bit of injury time in. Uh, and it'll probably do you more good. Uh, but let's, let's have a look at Nehemiah uh, in your own time over the next uh, day or two. Um, in the book of Nehemiah, you will find uh, that the people of God successfully rebuilt the walls of Jerusalem. They, they returned to the God of heaven in repentance. Uh, they worshipped him with joy, and they brought much glory to him at that time. Uh, just a little bit of background before I read the chapter, because it, it helps just to put it in context. Uh, Nehemiah is set in a time when, when God's people were in exile in Babylon, and that's in modern-day Iraq. Uh, in 586 BC, the Babylonians had invaded Judah. They had destroyed Jerusalem and the temple. They'd carried the Israelites off into exile in Babylon, far from their home, far from their way of life, far from the city where they worshipped their God. Uh, and about 60 years later, then the Persians from modern-day Iran, they were led by King Cyrus, and they overthrew the Babylonian Empire, and God's people were allowed once more to return to Jerusalem, to their holy city. And that's where Nehemiah comes in to the story. And, you know, I love about this again, and I refer to this sort of thing from time to time, but again, we're not looking at a fairy story. We have real solid archaeological evidence for the events that we read about in Nehemiah. The, the Saras cylinder is a clay cylinder dating from about 539 BC, and it's got a statement on it from King Cyrus giving permission to these exiles to return to Jerusalem. And this cylinder was found in Iraq in 1879. And you can go today to the British Museum in London and you can see it for yourself. I've seen it. So you can go and see for yourself evidence for the, 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 the book of Nehemiah and for what God has to say to us through that. Real historical evidence. So it's, it's while the people of God are in exile in Babylon that we pick up our story in chapter 1 of Nehemiah. Let me read from chapter 1 of Nehemiah. And if you're following in, in one of the Bibles from the seats, it's on page 485. And you, you might find it helpful to just open the Bible at page 485 and have it in front of you as we, as we work through some of the, the verses uh, here from ch chapter 1 of Nehemiah this evening. <clears throat> so chapter 1 of Nehemiah, verse 1. The words of Nehemiah, son of Hakaliah, in the month of Kislev, in the twentieth year, while I was in the citadel of Susa, Hanani, one of my brothers, came from Judah with some other men. And I questioned them about the Jewish remnant that survived the exile, and also about Jerusalem. They said to me, those who survived the exile and are back in the province are in great trouble and disgrace. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down, and the gates have been burned with fire. When I heard these things, I sat down and wept. For some days I mourned 
and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. And then I said, O Lord God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps his covenant of love with those who love him and obey his commands, let your ear be attentive and your eyes open to hear the prayer your servant is praying before you day and night for your servants, the people of Israel. I confess the sins we Israelites, including myself and my father's house, have committed against you. We have acted very wickedly towards you. We have not obeyed the commands, decrees, and laws you gave your servant, Moses. Remember the instruction you gave your servant, Moses, saying, If you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the nations. But if you return to me and obey my commands, then even if your exiled people are at the furthest horizon, I will gather them from there and bring them to the place I have chosen as a dwelling for my name. They are your servants and your people, whom you redeemed by your great strength and your mighty hand. O Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of this your servant, and to the prayer of your servants, who delight in revering your name. Give your servant success today by granting him favor in the presence of this man. I was cupbearer to the king. Let's just pray for a moment, shall we? Lord God, we thank you that you are present with us by your Holy Spirit and by your living word. Please give us ears to hear and hearts to respond. Speak, Lord, for your servants are listening. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, unfortunately, the the reports aren't good. The reports aren't good, and we hear them on the television, we see them on websites, we read of them in the papers. And we see it for ourselves as we travel around our nation. Church congregations dwindling, even churches closing. Spiritual decline across our city and across our nation. The reports aren't good. But they're actually very similar to the sort of report that Nehemiah received from his brother coming back from Jerusalem. You see, God's people were in trouble and disgrace, it says here, and the holy city was crumbling around them. And in this day and this age and in this part of the world, well, it would be very easy for us to look around, to look around and see decay. It would be easy for us to look around in despair and to give up. That is, that is if we didn't know that our God is the God of resurrection. Our God is the God of resurrection and the story of God's people is a story of resurrection. From the flood to resurrection from the ark of Noah and his family. Jacob's family starving in Canaan, resurrected in Egypt. Then being oppressed as slaves, set free and resurrected in the promised land taken as exiles to Babylonia, returning and resurrected in Jerusalem. Christ himself dead and buried, resurrected on the third day. The early church persecuted from Jerusalem, resurrected right across Asia Minor. The decline of the church through the Dark Ages, resurrected across Europe at the Reformation, through great men like Knox and Calvin. Almost dead again in the 18th century, resurrected through men like Wesley and Whitfield. 
and the great evangelical revivals of the 19th century. You see, our God is a God of resurrection. But we look around our world and around our city and our nation and we might think that God's church is in great trouble and disgrace. Her walls are broken down. Like Jerusalem. That was pretty much the message from Hananiah to Nehemiah. God's people were apparently on their last legs two and a half thousand years ago. And as we look at one of those times when God's people seem to be in trouble and decline, well, let's look and see what we can learn from, from that for our time and our place. At the start of the book of Nehemiah, where we are this evening, the message came from Jerusalem to Nehemiah, who was in exile in Babylonia. And the message was that God's chosen people were in trouble and disgrace, and the walls of the holy city that God had chosen for his dwelling place, his, his place of worship, where he was to be worshipped, The walls were broken down. So Nehemiah travels a thousand miles from Susa to Jerusalem to check it out. And right enough, it's not a pretty sight. And Nehemiah sat down and he wept. He sat down and he wept. And then, and then Nehemiah had a choice to make. For you see, then Nehemiah could either give up or step up. He could either give up or step up. Well, Nehemiah stepped up. Nehemiah stepped up because Nehemiah is no quitter. Nehemiah is a man of faith. And in these days, in our days, when we see congregations dwindling, churches closing, much spiritual decline, we could, like Nehemiah, we could sit down and we could weep. But once we've done that, then we too have a choice to make. Are we going to give up or are we going to step up? You see, I believe that we live in days like Nehemiah. Things are not now as God wants, but God has not finished with us yet. And God has not finished with his church yet. He is still building his church And as we look around, as we might say that in Ireland we are entering into a season of rebuilding, of God rebuilding his church. We've got an Alpha course starting here in a couple of weeks' time, and and, and it starts with our guest service on the 18th. And Nicky Gumbel, the founder of Alpha Course, he talks a lot about the re-evangelization of this nation, of the rebuilding of the church in this nation. And just as Nehemiah had various tools in the rebuilding of the walls of Jerusalem, so God has given us the Alpha Course as one of the tools, one of the tools to be used in the rebuilding of his church in this land. But equally, God is reaching out and building his church through all the activities and organizations here at Orangefield. All the activities and organizations on our little flyer. God is working through them all to build his church. He's a God of resurrection. He's a God who's calling us to a work of rebuilding. And he's looking, he's looking for 21st century Nehemiahs. People who'll step up to the mark and and get building through helping with the organizations and activities at Orangefield, for instance. 
And praise God for all those volunteers who stood this morning for commissioning, for people who have committed to serving God in this place. And I know that many of you sitting here tonight are serving God through the organizations and activities in this church. And many of you have been for many years. And we give thanks to God for that. And we thank you for that. But God's looking for more 21st century Nehemiahs. Believers like Nehemiah, men of faith, women of truth. People who will pray and praise, proclaim and partner and start to rebuild the walls, to rebuild the church across this city and this nation. So as today we dedicate ourselves afresh into God's service, how can we be modern-day Nehemiahs? How did, how did he respond to that situation in Jerusalem? And what can we learn from him here tonight at Orangefield as together we step up to answer God's call? Well, first of all, from our reading in Nehemiah chapter 1, we see that Nehemiah looks out. He looks out in compassion. Verse 2, Nehemiah is concerned for the people. Verse 2, he says, Hanani, one of my brothers, came from Judah with some other men, and I questioned them about the Jewish remnant that had survived the exile and also about Jerusalem. You see, Nehemiah asked about the people first. How are the Jewish remnant? How are the people? Then, what about the city? Nehemiah firstly has a heart for the people. Firstly for the people, and then secondly, a concern for bricks and mortar. You see, Nehemiah's concern for the fabric of, of Jerusalem is, is only insofar as these walls will offer security and protection for the people and a safe place for them to live and work and worship God. And yes, we need to look after our buildings, our property, but because they enable us to look after our people. So we also see that Nehemiah has compassion for others. It's that compassion that led Nehemiah to take the initiative to go to Jerusalem. He wanted to help them. He had their welfare at heart. You see, Nehemiah was, was working in a palace. Nehemiah had a responsible job. He was cupbearer to the king. He was a trusted confidant of Artaxerxes, the king. Nehemiah lived in a palace surrounded by opulence and comfort. He had a good, secure job. He had friends in high places. All the luxury of a palace. But he was willing to give it all up. Give it all up to go and help the people in Jerusalem. You see, Nehemiah's thoughts and concerns... They were not for himself, but they were for others first. Nehemiah living in a palace, but his thoughts were with his suffering people. His thoughts were with his suffering people a thousand miles away, on the other side of the desert, living amidst the ruins of Jerusalem. And driven by his love for God and for his people, Nehemiah stepped right out of his comfort zone. For you see, Nehemiah traveled a thousand miles to fulfill God's command to love him and to love his neighbor. It struck me that Nehemiah was willing to travel a thousand miles across the desert just to get to the work. How's that for commitment and dedication to God and neighbor, to God and man? A thousand miles across a desert just to get to the work. Oh, 
then the question is, how are we doing? How are we doing? How is our compassion for the people, for our community, for our city? And I know there's much good work goes on here, much compassion. I have felt it myself, much compassion from the people in this place and much compassion for people beyond this place from the folks here. But we want to ask ourselves again, don't we? How is our compassion for the hopeless and the helpless, for the sheep without a shepherd, for the lost without a saviour? Are we weeping and mourning for them like Nehemiah? Are we willing to move out of our comfort zone to help? Uh, Are we prepared not to travel a thousand miles across a a desert, but simply a few yards across a street or or a few feet across a room to hand someone one of these? To invite them along to Alpha? To, To something that's on at the church that's appropriate for them? To mob, to PW, to Sunday worship? to whatever, to learn here of of our Lord and our Savior, to meet with the one who is the resurrection and the life, the one who gives life in all its fullness, even eternal life. Secondly, secondly, we see that Nehemiah looks up in prayer. Verse 4, we see here in verse 4, Nehemiah's immediate response to the news of the situation in Jerusalem was to go straight to the Lord in prayer. Verse 4, When I heard these things, I sat down and wept. For some days I mourned and fasted and prayed. I mourned and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. Nehemiah was a man of prayer. In the book of Nehemiah, there are nine recorded prayers. Nehemiah knew that the first thing he must do was to pray. He prayed for some days and, you know, boy, he was serious about it as well. Look, he prayed instead of eating. Uh, And he was serious about his prayer. And Nehemiah knows the one to whom he comes in prayer as well. The God of heaven. Nehemiah knows that this is God. Verse 5, he says, The Lord, the God of heaven, the great and awesome God, who keeps his covenant of love with those who love him and obey his commands. A covenant-keeping God of heaven, great and awesome. God is sovereign and powerful and faithful and loving. And you see, although Nehemiah is in Susa and his people are in far-off Jerusalem, this one great God is the same God. The same God over both cities. And he hears the prayers of his people in Susa and the prayers of his people in Jerusalem. And so when we come to pray, Let us remember that we must come to pray, but we pray to the God of heaven. And we remember that our God is, that that, that Nehemiah's God is our God. Nehemiah's great and awesome and faithful and loving and hearing God is our great and awesome and faithful and loving and hearing God. And this same great God who heard the prayers of his people in Susa and in Jerusalem hears the prayers of his people in Belfast. But as we acknowledge the situation here today, how serious are we in prayer for our land, for our people, for the glory of God? Are we willing to gather, to to pray in our own quiet times, to gather at church, to pray people into the church, to pray people into the kingdom? Maybe even fast and pray? 
Now that would be more of a challenge for some of us than others, I know. But maybe even fast and pray. Are we willing to take some literature off a table, perhaps fill in that little card, the alpha card, some names there with folks to pray for? Are we willing to take an invitation to an event or an organization at church to pray for it, to pray for people, to pray for ourselves, to have the faith and the courage to step up and to help out perhaps with one of the organizations or activities at church? Thirdly, we see that Nehemiah looks inward in repentance. Verses 6 and 7. You see, as Nehemiah comes to God in God's presence in prayer, he acknowledges God's greatness and God's power and God's faithfulness and God's love. But he becomes aware also of his own lack of faith and love, his own sinfulness, and this leads him to repentance. Verse 6b, Nehemiah prays, I confess the sins we Israelites, including myself and my father's house, have committed against you. We have acted very wickedly against you, says Nehemiah. We have not obeyed the commands, decrees, and laws you give your servant Moses. There's no beating about the bush here either, is there? As he looks back, Nehemiah knows and he confesses that his people have often turned away from God and God's ways. And Nehemiah is no doubt that he himself is just as bad, just as sinful as anyone else. Nehemiah acknowledges that he and his people have sinned both by what they have done, they have acted very wickedly, he confesses, and by what they have left undone. They have not obeyed the laws, decrees, and and commands of God that he gave to Moses for his people. They have not loved God with all their heart, mind, soul, and strength, and they have not loved their neighbor as themselves. And you see, as we lament the state of our church and our society, Well, it's very easy to acknowledge other people's sins, isn't it? But what about our own? Are we willing to be as honest as Nehemiah? Are we willing to be honest as him and confess our own sins, our own failure to love God completely and to love our neighbor as ourselves? You see, as we put our hand to the rebuilding of the church in this land, we must come clean. We must come clean. And we must confess that we and and our people have sinned against God and against our neighbor by things that we have said and done and by things that we have left unsaid and undone. But praise God, for the Bible tells us, John writes, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us all our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness still amazed by his grace. Still amazed by his grace. But we must, like Nehemiah, confess our sins and then go forward as forgiven people, willing to forgive others as we have been forgiven. And fourthly then, as we move on, Nehemiah looks back with thanks. Verse 10. So whilst Nehemiah is urgent in his confession of sin, well, he doesn't dwell on it. His thoughts turn soon from himself back to God. And what God has done in the past. And his thoughts develop into this attitude of gratitude. In verse 8, Nehemiah remembers God's promise in his word to gather his people from the farthest ends of the earth to bring them back to Jerusalem if they turn back to God. 
And in verse 10, Nehemiah remembers how God had acted decisively in the past to rescue and redeem them from captivity in Egypt. They are your people whom you redeemed by your great strength and your mighty hand, writes Nehemiah. Oh, yes, God had promised to deliver them from slavery in Egypt and by his great strength and mighty hand. That's exactly what he did. God had promised to send them into exile if they disobeyed him, and he did. God kept his promise. Now, Nehemiah was grateful for God's promises to gather them back again to Jerusalem as they turned back to God in repentance and dependence. Oh, yes, there would be obstacles. There would be discouragements, and there would be opposition along the way. But encouraged by God's promises and by God's actions in the past, Nehemiah faces the future with thankfulness for God's deeds in the past. And you see, likewise, God has promised in the New Testament to gather unto himself a people, a church, composed of redeemed people from every tribe and tongue and nation and language. And we were singing about it a moment ago. And Christ has promised to build his church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it, and he will keep his promise. He will build his church. He will keep his promise. He always does. And even as we think of our own lives, even when we think of how we've seen God act to rescue and redeem us, those who have trusted in him, he has rescued us from captivity to sin and to death. He has acted decisively to save us by his grace. And he has given us wonderful promises for the future. And so as we set our hearts and our minds to the rebuilding of the church, let us do it with an attitude of gratitude. As we go forward, let us count our blessings. As we go forward, let us go forward with hearts full of thanks for what God has done in the past and for what he has promised to do in the future. And for many of us, we'll give thanks for what God has done in our lives as we have attended this church. If you were here this morning, you heard Daniel's testimony of thanks, his testimony of what God has done in his life and the life of himself and his wife, Ashley. Blessing them through the Alpha Course, drawing them to faith, into fellowship, making them his children. And don't we want to see more people? Don't we want to see more people standing up here at the front of our church sharing how God has changed their lives through the work and the witness of our organizations and our activities here in this place? And you know, that journey starts with us inviting them along in many cases. And finally, finally, Nehemiah looks forward with confidence. He looks forward with confidence because he remembers God's former mercies. He he remembers what God has done for his people in the past and he's assured of God's help for the future. And he also gets things into perspective. Nehemiah acknowledges that, look, I'm simply a servant of God. He says, O Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of this, your servant, and give your servant success today. And whilst Nehemiah has this responsible job as cupbearer to the king, this is the king, by the way, who had earlier put a stop to the rebuilding of the walls under Ezra. But Nehemiah understands that this is the king, yes, but this king is only a man. 
This king is only a man. And Nehemiah prays, give your servant success today by granting him favor in the presence of this man. You see, when Nehemiah is in the presence of God, Nehemiah has no problem in the presence of the man. And it would be easy for Nehemiah to think perhaps that this king would deny him the request to be allowed to leave Susa and to go and rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. But Nehemiah has a God perspective on things. This king of Susa, he's only a man. But God? Well, God is the great and awesome God of heaven. Even this king is in God's hand. For God is sovereign. God is in control, always working out his will and purposes. And you see, what actually happened was that not only did this king not oppose the rebuilding, but he actually helped Nehemiah in his endeavors. You see, the hand of the sovereign God of heaven was at work. And throughout the whole building project, Nehemiah keeps this perspective. When Nehemiah arrived in Jerusalem, we read in chapter 2, verse 18, he says, I told them about the gracious hand of my God upon me and what the king had said to me. And when he encountered opposition, for yes, there will always be opposition to the rebuilding of the walls, to the rebuilding of the church. In chapter 2, 20, Nehemiah declared, the God of heaven will give us success. We, his servants, will start rebuilding. Nehemiah kept a God perspective on things. He was merely God's servant, and God is sovereign in control and will grant success to his servants. The walls will be rebuilt in the purposes and will of God. God's kingdom will come and his will will be done. But Nehemiah also recognizes here the importance of partnering with others and his confidence in those who will do the work alongside him. He prays, let your ear be attentive to to this, your servant, and to your servants who delight in revering your name. The believers will work together shoulder to shoulder. We see when the rebuilding work starts in chapter 3, we see the builders are named. Such and such was next to him was, next to him was, next to him was. That list of names. Servants working side by side on the building of the wall. Partnership. Partnership working together, it was vital. It was absolutely vital in the rebuilding of the walls of Jerusalem. Would those walls have been rebuilt if the, if the builders had all been squabbling and bickering and disagreeing with one another? No, of course not. Not at all. But working together, working together for the building of the kingdom, it was vital then, it was vital now. And you see, this task of rebuilding the church in this land, it can only be completed with individuals working side by side. Teamwork. And as for us then, in this congregation, that means every member ministry. Every member supporting the work of the organizations and the activities of this congregation. Supporting it prayerfully, practically, and or financially. However God has gifted us. As he uses us for the rebuilding of the church in this city and in this nation. It can only be done though as we make ourselves available. And as we stand shoulder to shoulder in the work just as I finish. So learning, learning from the example of God's servant Nehemiah, let us go out into the, the year ahead here at Orangefield. 
Let us go out with an attitude of compassion for the people in our church and community. Let us go out with an attitude of of repentance for our sins, of thanksgiving for God's grace. Let's go into the year ahead seeing things from God's perspective and confident that as we offer ourselves into his service, he will indeed use us for the rebuilding of his church across our city and across our nation to the praise of the glorious name of the God of heaven. Let us pray together for a moment, shall we? Let's just take a moment to respond to what God has been saying to us here this evening. It might be on one of these particular points. But let's just ask God to speak to us and take a moment to respond as he continues to speak to us. Lord, the God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps his covenant of love with those who love him and keep his commandments, let your ear be attentive and your eyes open to hear the prayers your servants pray before you this evening. Lord, we thank you that you have promised to build your church and that the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And so, Lord, we want to make ourselves available to you as you build your church, as you rebuild your church in this city, in this province, and in this nation. Father, we pray that you would grant us an attitude like your servant Nehemiah. Please fill us with compassion for all the people of this land, prayerful dependence on you, forgiveness of all our sins against you and against our neighbor, a heart of gratitude for what you have done for us in the past, and a new confidence in you and in your promises as we serve you in this place and beyond. Lord, please fill us with your Holy Spirit and your word. And let us be people of prayer and praise, of proclamation and partnership, as we step out of our comfort zones, as we pick up the tools, and as we help with the rebuilding of your church. Build your church, Lord. Make us strong, Lord. And let your glory be over all the earth. We pray all these things in the power of the Spirit, in Jesus' name, and for your glory alone. Amen. Amen. Amen.